1933, the Christian Science Publishing Society produced a film about the construction of the new building that would now house its operations. Called The Printed Word, the vintage black and white film included reels of moving pictures, text slides, with a musical track of an organist playing selections from the Christian Science hymnal. One of the text slides read as follows. When the architectural plans had been worked out, they called for a building imposing in size, utility, and beauty. Now, almost 100 years later, that building lives on as a seat of operations for the Christian Science Church headquarters in Boston, including its publishing arm, its administrative offices, and it is home for us at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. After all this time, how does it continue to fulfill that architectural vision? And how does the architecture continue to serve the needs of the organization for which it was built, for the surrounding community, for the city of Boston overall, and as a destination for visitors from around the world? Hello, I'm Jonathan Eder, host of the Mary Baker Eddy Library Seekers and Scholars podcast. And in this episode, we will look at this building's unique significance in Christian science history, as well as in architectural, publishing, and urban history. Our guests bring a deep knowledge of, as well as affection for the building. So it is my pleasure to welcome Ben Foti, Research Associate at the Mary Baker Library, to the podcast. Ben recently completed an article on the architectural history of the Christian Science Publishing Society, posted in the From the Collection series on the library's website. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Great to have you. And so grateful to you for this research you've done on this building that is our home. Brooke Tenike is Senior Project Manager, Real Estate Planning and Operations here at the Mother Church, the First Church of Christ Scientists Boston, located at the Christian Science Plaza. Brooke, welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. Happy to be here. Brooke, I dare say you know this building as well as anyone at this point. I think many of us who work here know the building well, but I've been fortunate enough to partake in a number of restoration projects or or new builds that support existing uses, including when the library was built. Mm -hmm. And then more recently with the How Do You See the World exhibit experience that we opened a few years ago. So I know the building very well from its architectural backbone and because I'm an employee here and I love coming into the building. Okay. So Ben, why did you want to write an article? about the architectural history of this building? So I've always had an interest and appreciation for historic architecture, particularly Mm -hmm. Christian science architecture and the buildings of the Christian Science Plaza here in Boston. Right. When I started working here at the library a little over a year ago now, I'd say that appreciation really deepened because here I am now working in this beautiful and incredible structure and just really seeing many of its elements up close firsthand. And in my first few months here, I realized a couple key things. The first was that there had never been anything specifically written or published about this building, either on the library's website or on any website associated with the Mother Church. And the second reason was that it dawned on me that the building has served many purposes over the years and is also essentially a living historical artifact. You could almost think of it as a historical figure in and of itself. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to tell a story of not only 
how the building itself came to be, but also to convey something about its overall significance as an artifact, as a community asset, and how it's helped advance the mission of the Mother Church. And honestly, I feel like it's a guest at this table because here we are inside this building (laughs) in these studios. (laughs) And don't you love the fact that it's actually inscribed on the building, Publishers of Authorized Literature of Christian Science? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then lists Journal, Quarterly, Sentinel, Herald, and Monitor. And I think many people don't notice that, but they told us from the outset when they built the building, this is what it's for. And here we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it is a vital workplace, and I'm, I'm so grateful for you, Ben, writing this article because it's made me step back and reflect upon the beauty and uniqueness of the space in which I'm, I'm working. That vital workplace atmosphere can lead me, anyway, to get very sort of tunnel-visioned <laughs> during my work day <laughs> and to sort of block out my surroundings or not take the time to kind of appreciate them. But I do think it, it has an impact. It has an influence when you're in a place that has these qualities of grandeur, of beauty, of sophistication, of tremendous care and detail in every facet of, of the building that no doubt that has an influence on how one conducts one's own activities here inside the building. Definitely. So when it was first built, Ben, and the first people started to use it in, I believe, 1933, um, what was the design, what was the vision for how the building would work? Well, the main focus, as you have already mentioned, was to be the operations for all departments of the Christian Science Publishing Society. And I should mention that includes the Christian Science periodicals, such as the Christian Science Journal, the Christian Science Sentinel, and the Herald of Christian Science, and of course, the Christian Science Monitor News Organization. At that time, it was a daily paper. So as a result, they wanted to include an area which would have the large printing presses for the monitor. Mm -hmm. And that was used for many, many years. I should also mention that the other publishing activities that come out of this building are the writings of church founder Mary Baker Eddy. Right. And so, obviously, there needed to be space for that. Just kind of a brief historical background about the impetus for needing this building in the first place. In the 1920s, the publishing society had really vastly outgrown its original headquarters, which were located at a building which was often referred to as 107 Falmouth Street. Mm -hmm. That building was located in front of the Mother Church Extension. That building was torn down in the early 70s. The problem they were having was that they kept building additions to this building, and they weren't really getting anywhere as far as, you know, real expansion. And so finally, the publishing society trustees said, you know what? We need to find a more permanent solution. (laughs) This isn't working out anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, So as a result, the Christian Science Board of Directors appointed a building committee early in 1930 to not only plan and oversee the project in the design stages, but also really guide the whole thing through completion. Construction began in 1932. The cornerstone was laid on October 17th in a small ceremony. And the building, as you said, was largely finished by 1933. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, at the time of its completion, an architectural critic, Kenneth Kingsley Stoll, remarked that the Christian Science Publishing House was, quote, monumental in character, rhythmic in composition, 
masculine in detail, unquote. Brooke, just how big is the Christian Science Publishing House? We consider it an entire block-long building. It's a 10-story building. Uh-huh. And obviously there are upper— Ten? I always thought it was 11. Well, the 11th floor is the machine room, so it's not actually a floor that we count as occupiable floor. Oh, okay. So 11th floor, you could say from a vernacular perspective, okay. but we call it 10-story building. Okay. It's I didn't about, know that either. That's yeah. really fascinating to learn yeah. about. 154 feet tall mm-hmm. and just a large grand scale, but— when you think about what it houses, it doesn't feel like an imposing building. It it feels like you are welcomed from the moment you walk through the doors. And while you see the grandness from the street level, the city has grown up around the building. And so it is no longer this behemoth within the back bay. It, okay. it fits within the context of the neighborhood then, and it still fits within the context of the neighborhood today. Right. So, Ben, you're saying this uh, project was undertaken in the early 1930s. Now, this is happening during time of grave economic crisis in, in the country. Yes. How did that all work out? So, I, I guess the Empire State Building was also built in the 1930s, so we weren't the yes. only ones doing something. But. We were not. As a matter of fact, when the project was announced in early 1931, yeah. first in the Monitor and then secondly in the Sentinel, the announcement that the board of directors made they really emphasized the need for this new space and how important it would be not only to the immediacy of the need for new space, but also for future generations. Right. And so contributions actually came in from several countries around the world, mm-hmm. and that actually funded the bulk of the construction costs. The total cost of the building was $4.2 million dollars which would be about $100 million today. Mm-hmm. Back then, as you can imagine, that was a lot of money, especially during those uh, acute economic times. But the contributions came in, and the Mother Church funded about a million of that cost, and that was all met very nicely. Mm-hmm. And not only was it an example of those who supported the activities here coming together and just saying, we're going to advance the cause here. Mm-hmm. the cause of Christian science, that is, and, you know, how it's going to impact humanity. But when construction finally began in 1932, it was creating hundreds of jobs for people that otherwise may not have had them mm-hmm. at that time. So that was another unique aspect of this project yeah. in Boston at the time. Isn't it humbling to think that worldwide people donated so much money for this building to be built? I mean— We think about the work that goes on within the building on a daily basis, but that people saw the need for a publishing house to house the publishing society activities and shared that much money Mm. to support it. Fascinating. Yes, and humbling, as you say. You know, I I, I mentioned at the outset this film, The Printed Word, Mm -hmm. and it gives you um, an image of people working on the building one of the things that struck me, and I was wondering if, if either of you or both of you could amplify on this, was what were all the different labor skills that were required to achieve a building of this kind? Well, there were hundreds of individuals who worked on the building from a construction standpoint. Yeah. There's a lot of masonry. I mean, the facade is a beautiful limestone as well as granite. Yeah. And 
they had to have the individuals who were capable of actually making sure that these were put together in a proper way. But once you got into the interior, there are people who are working on ceilings next to the people who are working on the framing of of walls and floors in adjacent spaces because it was such a large construction building. It took painters, plumbers, electricians, all pre-OSHA, working in harmony and safely to complete the building. And they did it, as you mentioned, just at the end of 1933 to complete this building in such a short time period. Astounding. So a beautiful building, but it had to have a plan. Who was the architectural visionary behind the Christian Science Publishing House. So after the building committee had interviewed several prospective architects by mid-1930, it was then decided that a local architect, Chester Lindsay Churchill, would be the best one to bring this project to fruition. And even though at that point he really had no experience with designing a facility of this type, the building committee selected him because not only did they feel that he understood the basic need for a new space for the publishing society. But he also had a very clear vision about how such a building would further broaden a global outreach and mission of the Mother Church and its publishing activities. For the architectural style, Churchill drew largely on elements from the Italian Renaissance. And Mm -hmm. I really think that that has given a sense of timelessness to the architecture. Mm which I think really is a testament to the fact that the building doesn't seem to be aging. (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't. You can experience different types of architecture, it seems to me, particularly on the interior. Things that have, as you say, this feel from the Italian Renaissance, but then there are these sort of modernist details and Art Nouveau details as, as well, but they all kind of harmonize. They all make sense together. Well, there are even hints of kind of Grecian and Roman in in some of the exterior. And and it's that blending, as you said, it creates that timelessness. And I should also mention that many of the materials in the lobby and in some other spaces throughout the building are imported Mm -hmm. from different countries around the world. And Churchill actually went overseas himself and secured some of these materials like the travertine and the marble from Italy and some of the tile that came from Czechoslovakia. With Chester Lindsay Churchill's design, though, the fact that there were things coming from all over the world, that he helped source many of them and and others that may have been donated, you know, without a specific plan, how cohesive the building looks and feels with all those different influences. There isn't a sense of what you can see in some more modern buildings, that kind of hodgepodge where they're trying to reflect ideas of the past. This one all harmonizes, mm-hmm. and it just supports the how much thought and work Chester Lindsay Churchill and the building committee put into this design. To say the building committee, the CSPS trustees, and the board were impressed with what he came up with is an understatement. I mean, they were absolutely <laughs> floored uh-huh. with the end result. And as a matter of fact, I just want to read something that the building committee wrote to Churchill oh, on their, be wonderful. their last meeting in 1936, just as they were kind of wrapping up some final details of the building project. And just this really wonderful expression of gratitude yeah. for all he did. They said, the structure which has been achieved is both beautiful and utilitarian and stands as a worthy memorial to the great founder and leader of the Christian science movement, 
Mary Baker Eddy. We can only express our deepest appreciation and highest commendation of your work and of its distinctive results. Mm. Now, to me, those distinctive results. They're still there. They're still there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brooke, you know, when you're working with people around restoration of, of the building, what are their observations? How did they respond to the building when they, they have the opportunity to work at this and on this space? Well, it's very interesting that we actually are meeting with other architects right now to mm -hmm. work on a new project and so doing the interviews yeah. and holding these interviews with within the publishing house. And everybody who's come through the doors in this past week has stopped and said, why did I not know about this building? <laughs> yeah. And those that do know about it still said it's amazing what yeah. it stands for based on this architecture because it has been so well preserved and maintained from a trade perspective. So the mason and the even the tin knockers who work on roofs, they love this building because it's an opportunity for them to really show their craftsmanship mm -hmm. because the craftsmanship has already shown through from the 1930s. This and the Mother Church original and extension edifice tend to be lifetime opportunities for someone who has been hired to work on a project mm -hmm. in this building because they don't get to work in such fine detail, to actually show what they have been trained to do in such a beautiful way and have it stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. I would say there has not been anybody who we've worked with who hasn't paused and looked at a detail on the building and almost stood in awe. Are they looking at the the German mosaic tiles? Are they looking just even at the, the travertine arches, how we've lit certain features of the building and pause to say, this is beautiful. We hope that we can do the building justice in whatever this next project is that we've been talking to them about. Mm. So it's it's very interesting to hear universally how many people in the industry love coming into this building. Yeah, I can imagine. You mentioned the word justice. And um, one thing that I didn't notice for years and years, and then when I did, it just continued to captivate my attention. There are these cornices along the, the top of the building that are words of profound uh, meaning and theme, justice being one of them, peace being another, love being another, purity being another, mercy being another. I think there are eight in all. Health, hope, and faith. Yeah, yeah. Think of the other three. Yes, those words are engraved at the four corners of the upper portion of the Christian Science Publishing House two juxtaposed at each corner. And I think they really testify to the spiritual vision, purpose, and aspirations of the Christian Science Publishing Society. I'm very familiar with those. And I think of, Ben, when you were talking about the, the physical cornerstone that was laid for this building, I think of those as the cornerstones that continue to endure for the public. Because mm -hmm. while they're obviously at a much higher elevation and they are not physically cornerstones, they're quietly telling the world right what, what this place is all what, about exactly yeah. yeah and and if if it's too subtle there is also a lovely quote from psalms on the side of the building which which in large does stand detail, out which you, does stand out yes yeah <laughs> what is that quote uh that is the lord gave the word and great was the company of those that published it mm -hmm. there are so many things about this building that really speak to just all of those qualities mm -hmm. and if you take the limestone exterior, for example, I think it not only represents physical fortification, but I also feel like 
the building, as we said before, constantly announces to the surrounding community that, look, we're here, and there are very significant things going on here. Mm-hmm. And as far as it being imposing, I first of all want to say that despite other structures having been added around it over the years, whether it's on the plaza or the Prudential Tower or what have you, I still feel like the building does have that imposing presence. You know, that word imposing is interesting because it can have a a sort of negative connotation. You're imposing yourself on, on others. Obviously, that's not what they meant, but rather something that just would be striking. You know, striking, I think, is a very accurate term. Imposing, it's true, it's imposing, but it's it's subtle at the same time. There's, yeah. I keep going back to there's a harmony with the structure. Absolutely. And I love even the small detail of the limestone that was chosen to be used for the facade. Limestone from a quarry adjacent to the quarry that was used for the mother church. Mm-hmm. So that there was a harmony in materials for very different design use. Mm-hmm. But it created that beautiful structure. I find it not imposing in a bad way. I find it welcomingly imposing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a strange kind of contradiction, but yeah. it, it wants you to come inside and, and explore the building. It's not a keep out kind of feeling of, of some structures. Mm-hmm. Invitingly imposing. It, yeah. That's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've always been really fascinated by is those large exterior lights. They almost remind me of something you might see somewhere in Europe. Mm. Are you speaking of the large wall sconces that are on the exterior? Yes. On the side by the doors? Yes. Beautiful pieces, aren't they? I completely agree. And those require some maintenance from time to time in order to keep them beautiful and functional. And again, bringing in a vendor who gets to work on that, it is a thrill for them. There's a vendor that comes in and does metal maintenance for us. Mm. And this is their favorite location between the large lighting on the building and then the bronze doors as well. It just, it speaks to their love of the space when they're like, can we please come back? We don't, we know your building does not need maintenance, but we'd like to come back because we feel enriched when we're here. Mm. I mean, how cool is that? That that is very cool. Well, I'm sure uh, Lindsay Churchill would appreciate the fact that the building continues to be practical and utilitarian and, and serving a purpose and not just a kind of historic relic. If he were to come back to visit his structure today, um, what would stand out to him? Well, I would say he would probably most be impressed by the fact that we've adapted the space to things that have changed over the years. But I think he would also be impressed to see that it's a very huge public presence, that there are a lot of public visitors to, whether it's how do you see the world or the Maparium. Yes. What are the unique features of the Maparium, Ben? The Maparium is a globe that's three stories tall and contains 608 panes of glass. You could think of it as like an inverted map of the world, showing the world as it was in 1935. Just as a historical note, an interesting fact, the map from 1935 is the one that remains there today. It's never been changed. And so it has a bridge in the center that allows visitors to go in and see the world from that inside-out perspective. And you feel like you're in the totality of the world, Mm -hmm. if you will. That was actually finished in 1935. 
the majority of the publishing house was finished in 1933. Right. And I actually have a statement here by Churchill on his purpose for the Maparium. Right. He said to the building committee at the time, as you are an international organization with many activities, the thought came to me that some sort of a map room in the new building would be a very helpful feature. It will allow the many activities of your organization to be effectively and in an informative way better presented to the public than possible in many other ways. Mm-hmm. It really speaks to the global outreach of the activities of the Mother Church and the Publishing Society. I mean, what you're saying really makes me feel like the building was intended to welcome the world. (laughs) And it does. Well, it was designed to house the people that were providing publications for the world. Right. And so it it just stands to reason that we'd want them to come and visit as well. So, Brooke, in nine or ten years, the building will be 100 years old. Are we planning any kind of um, (laughs) party for it? (laughs) I don't know that. Not that I'm aware of yet. Okay. Well, I think we we celebrate it every day in little ways. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, as you say, it's timeless, so it probably doesn't care about birthdays. Um, Well, thank you so much, uh, Brooke Tenock. It's been wonderful to just get a sense of your work, your appreciation for the building, and insight about what makes this building so significant. I just wanted to ask you one more question, and that is, what has been its sort of reception by the um, city of Boston in general? How do the people who are caretakers of the city as a whole, how do they think about this? Our Back Bay community and the city as a whole really love who we are right. and why we're here. And the whole plaza was nominated in 2010 to be landmarked mm. because the city saw the significance of the buildings. The city said, we support that this needs to continue to be maintained in a manner that the church was already doing. We were right. already dedicated to the the stewardship and maintenance of these buildings. But the fact that the city recognized it and our neighbors were the ones who, whoever they were, who nominated the plaza to be landmarked, clearly love it because they want to make sure that it's here for generations to come. So that's what that means, landmark. Le- means that, yeah, Boston that, that, Landmark that, that, Commission means that our site has been landmarked and that they have actually looked at all of our structures on the exterior of the buildings and said, you need to continue to maintain them as they look today, as they were originally designed by Chester Lindsay Churchill. I am paying Casuda. There are the 70s era, it's more of the brutalist style, but the architecture is very unique for all of the city of Boston. And because there's so many different periods represented. Brooke, in terms of experiencing the Christian Science Plaza today, you were mentioning earlier the how do you see the world experience. What is it? And then what is it meant to the uh, city? The experience welcomes visitors to learn more about Mary Baker Eddy and her discovery of Christian science, and then also look at the good that is happening in the world and really celebrating all the many ways that individuals, we may not know their names, but how they're making the world a better place, and and then offering for people to really think about that for themselves. Our neighbors who are here in the Back Bay often will comment to myself and others how much they love the fact that it's really a thought-provoking location where they feel that there is good. Mm-hmm. And, and to see good in a time when it's not always easy to find the good yeah. really means a lot to our neighbors. Yeah. And just curious, when the building is hosting an exhibit experience or a presentation of that kind, uh, an experience um, like how do you see the world, how does that work 
with the background of the building. How, how do you make sure that it harmonizes and doesn't take away from what was originally intended for the aesthetics and how somebody would experience the building? Sure. That's a great question, Jonathan. And, and that's really the goal for myself and my colleagues is that we're partnering with whatever exhibit firm or design firm to make sure that they are as engaged with the architecture as we are to enhance it, not to destroy it, not to detract from it, but to enrich it with these exhibit experiences. And so there are often moments where the easiest approach sometimes impacts something that we don't want to see impacted. And so there's that moment to pause as a team, whoever the team may be, Mm -hmm. and say, how can we still achieve this moment without taking away from the architecture? Mm-hmm. And and How Do You See the World has been our most recent example of that, where yeah. we worked hand-in-hand hand with a design firm and all of their teams who were actually building exhibits and the AV folks who needed to bring in the technology that supported these exhibits in a way that if the exhibit were to change tomorrow, not that we wanted to, we love <laughs> How Do You See the World, <laughs> yeah. but we could undo it without negatively impacting the architecture. Super. Well, thank you for the work you do, Brooke, in helping to uh, to maintain this building and to keep it looking so fresh and um, vital and lovely while serving you know the needs of the Christian Science Church and, and the whole organization here. It's been great to have you on Seekers and Scholars. Thank you for having me. It's It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. And thank you so much, Ben, for uh, all the care you put into this article and all you've learned. I know there's so much more in your head about <laughs> the Christian Science Publishing House than um, the, the word count for the article allowed for. But it's, it's nice to have this authority now in the, in the library on the history of the Christian Science Publishing House. It was a pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the unique design and purpose of the Christian Science Publishing Society building in Boston. In the episode, I referred to a film that was taken at the time of the building of the publishing house. It's a work of art in its own right, and you can watch it by going to the page for this episode. That's number 86. You'll find it on the library's website, and you'll see the link for the film near the bottom of the page. Please join us for upcoming episodes. In one, we'll dive further into our archives to see how they are contributing to the work of the Christian Science Church today, answering the question, how does church history inform the current work of the church? Also, for another episode, we'll be visited by an eminent United States cultural historian to discuss the question of animal magnetism, what that concept meant to 19th century Americans, and why it was important to Mary Baker Eddy in her explanation of Christian science. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you so much for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2024.